Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. This special series was recorded live at the Market Council Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada. Listen in as we talk with leaders in our industry represented at this wonderful event. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. We are live still from the Market Council Summit here in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. We, our guest today is Mike Reed, the Chief Operating Officer of Dakota Wealth Management. Now, we're going to learn a little bit more about what Dakota does and, and really what makes them truly unique and different. But what I'm really excited about is to find out more about what makes Mike tick. When you are the Director of uh, Operations, the Chief uh, uh, Operating Officer, efficiency is so important. And you're going to hear in this podcast where we are going to tease out how important efficiency is, not just in business, but also in life. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. Well, let's talk about your journey, right? So, um, what is your uh, what's your history, man? How did you get to where you well, are? It's kind of interesting. So, I actually am in, I was educated as a healthcare provider and had an interest in business and systems, and so. I went on to earn a master's in orthopedics, and then I got a doctorate in operational management in medicine. It's a niche area. I did my thesis on perioperative spine care, which is focused on the systems before and after the surgical event as a means of optimizing outcome. And if you haven't had the experience of trying to manage surgeons and healthcare providers, you haven't lived. Uh, <laughs> that seems like a certain circle yeah, of hell for it, me. But uh, it was an exciting career. Over 22 years, huh. I developed nine ventures. Eight were very successful. One was not. Okay. Uh, I actually took a company through bankruptcy and had that experience, which actually I would highly recommend. You can learn a lot through that process. <laughs> but. My biggest success was a firm that I developed in South Florida in the Jupiter area, focusing on, again, spine surgery and the perioperative support process. That was acquired by Hospital for Special Surgery out of Manhattan. They've been around for 150 years, widely regarded as the number one orthopedic institution in the world. And I did that and joined their executive team reported directly to the CEO, and my job was to oversee the footprint in Florida as that developed. Did that for three years, and then I was recruited to become executive director of the North American Spine Foundation by the North American Spine Society, which is the biggest professional spine society in the world. And so they brought me on, gave me a million dollars of seed money, and it was my job to develop this public foundation um, for them, which Hmm. I did for three years. We raised a lot of money. We secured a congressional resolution. We created relationships with the United Nations, World Health Organization. And with that momentum, they wanted to move the organization from Florida, where I was running it, to Chicago. And that really wasn't in my future. (laughs) Okay. So I decided to uh, not do that anymore and to open, open a consulting firm by the name of Spine Trust. Meanwhile, my very dear friend of 30 years, close, closest friend, Peter Ramondi, who's very well known in this industry, was writing out a non-compete and was looking to launch a new firm this past spring. And he had come to me and knowing my interest in operational management and the things that I had done in my career, he said, listen, would you be interested in serving as my chief operating officer and helping me grow my company? 
And also because we are very focused on top line growth, a lot of acquisitions and integrations, I want to put you in charge of integrations. I, hmm. It took me two seconds to make my decision. And on May 1st, we launched Dakota Wealth Management. We did two quick acquisitions. We're about ready to do our third. We hmm. have 700 million, 700 million under management. And I'm having more fun than I've had in the last two decades. What an interesting transition. I mean, your learning curve, well, I, I don't want to prejudge here. What has your learning curve been like? With respect to this field? Yes, sir. It's actually been pretty quick, okay. right? So I think when you look at the world of operations, you have to recognize it's not practice management, it's not business management, it's people management. Okay. And every company, every tribe is different. They all have their different dynamics. Mm -hmm. In a world that's evolving so quickly as it relates to technology and everyone's desire to integrate the best technology, you have to be careful because there are many people on your team or in your tribe who may not be literate, may not be able to tolerate that. So as a good operations person, you not only need to look at the horizon and understand what you need to do for best practices and efficiencies, but you have to remain effective. And if you try to shove someone something down someone's throat who's not ready for it, it can be a disaster. We mm. see it happen all the time. And so I think that for me, the learning curve has been mostly about the terminology, the acronyms. But to be honest, Matt, wealth management and health management, there really isn't a big difference. Wow. There's a need. Mm -hmm. There's an evaluative process. There is a suitability consideration. Then there's a plan. And then you execute that plan. The big advantage, and I think this is the reason I'm enjoying this so much, one, I don't have to worry about third-party payers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> my customer uh -huh. and my consumer are the same person. Nice. In medicine, the consumer is the patient and the customer is the third-party payer, mm. and their needs are not aligned. Mm. And the other thing that's really exciting about this field relative to what I came from is that reimbursement. Reimbursement is oftentimes billed in advance, mm. whereas in medicine, it's all in arrears, right. and it's not a whole lot of fun. So my learning curve has been just really about the, uh, the technology uh, as it relates to this field, which has been very quick. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, in this field, the people that are involved in this field have been nothing but inclusive. Mm -hmm. They've embraced me. Now, maybe that's my age. Maybe it's because of my experiences. But I have to tell you, it's been, it's been a great experience. Let's talk about Dakota specifically. I mean, what... What makes you unique and different? I mean, two quick acquisitions, another on the way since May? That's super fast. Yeah, yeah I think, well, Peter Ramondi is sort of an icon in the industry. He's sure. very well known for what he's done in the past. So that's a big advantage. Pete has a very particular vibe that he likes to create. Our culture is very hip, very relaxed, <laughs> but at the same time very responsible and somewhat intense as it relates to what we're trying to do for our clients. We do a lot of custom portfolios. It's very high touch. Now, my business models over the years in medicine evolved from traditional third-party payer to concierge. So for the past 15 years, I focused on concierge care. So I was very accustomed to that high touch environment and we had a lot of success with that. Mm -hmm. So. That's really the differentiator for Dakota Wealth Management. One, we think we're better than anybody as far as operations. We know it. We get it. 
We know where we need to be now based on our tribe dynamics, and we know where we need to go. Also, with respect to acquisitions, you have to have a good integration plan. You need to know how to do that, and it's about the people. Many fail. We will not fail because we know how to do that. So I think that's a big differentiator for us. The other thing is, is we have an edict in our company. Our focus is, and maybe particularly my focus, but I know for Pete as well, our focus is our partners and our staff. We feel that if our partners and our staff Mm -hmm. are jazzed every day, then by default, the client is gonna have a great experience. So I don't focus necessarily on the client. My customer is my staff. Now, I believe that, well, you're way down the field from where most financial services professionals are because that's not how they view this. What a refreshing opportunity and how cool it was that he noticed that within you and you've implemented that culture within the practice. Who are your clients? I mean, so I understand who your clients are, but let's talk about Dakota really quickly. You've, you've um, acquired a couple of, of other financial services practices. Do you guys have a specialty in the kind of client that you serve? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. So again, high net worth individuals, but it does run the spectrum. Okay. And uh, again, our primary focus is investment management, alternatives, we do option overlays, and a lot of different strategies. So we like to consider ourselves to be fairly dispersive as it relates to the strategies that we might use based on the client needs. So very focused on, you know, what's the client's need, what is their risk tolerance, all those issues, right? We didn't really necessarily have an appetite for tax planning, tax preparation, but we've inherited those things as we've done these acquisitions, which oftentimes occur, and those have been fully integrated. So we do some financial planning, we do some tax preparation, tax planning. We're proud of it, but our primary focus is asset management. Okay. Have you thought of writing another PhD dissertation? (laughs) I have, actually. Very interested in, because I've had experiences with this and one very bad experience as it relates to being on the sell side. Mm -hmm. So when I did that acquisition with the hospital, Mm -hmm. despite their 150-year history and having some of the best consultants in the industry, that merger was very challenging. Mm. But it was a great experience for me because I got to see how to do things wrong. And how if, you're, if your vision is not aligned and it's not communicated with the people who are in the trenches working for you, it's a big mistake. So okay. for me, it was just a, a great experience that has really laid the groundwork for where I am now. Well, Mike, I, I think one of the problems is there are a lot of people who throw around uh, their technical proficiency in operations, but I don't know how many people have taken a real academic approach to it, uh, which is obviously what you had done previously in your PhD. Should I actually be referring to you as doctor? No. Oh, no. All right, I had to ask. That's All my right. other life. That's your other life. So I think it'd be really great, and, and we really appreciate you being on the podcast because uh, I'm going to ask you a couple other questions about what firms can do and what they can learn from you and your experience to implement a real um, operational success. So do you mind if we even start there? I mean, so if you were able to just kind of drop some knowledge on our listeners, what would be some of your tips in really truly creating great operational readiness? Okay. Well, I think the first thing is it doesn't matter what size you are as a firm. Wow. Because I think that... There are two things that I think about when it comes to business. 
you have to have people who are working in the business and who, people who are working on the business. Now, I've had small businesses where I've been both, mm-hmm. and that's fine, and that may be an economic driver, or it may just simply be practical that I've made that decision. But at some point in time, there needs to be someone who is working on the business. And I would argue, if you took most advisors or CEOs or those who are running their companies and have client-facing activities, if you ask them to draw a line down the paper and on the left side write down all the things they love to do Mm -hmm. and on the right side write down all the things that they hate to do, on the right side of the paper is your job description for an operations purpose person. Okay, So I think advisors and company leaders, those who are CEOs and really the visionaries and out there creating an interest in what the firm is doing, networking, if you will, they need to focus on what's on the left-hand side of the column, and they need to find someone who can fulfill the needs on the right side of the column. And forget about the title. It doesn't need to be chief operating officer. It can be operations manager. Mm -hmm. It can be an executive assistant, quite honestly, who inherits those responsibilities. So for for not a big firm, maybe it's a $50,000, $60,000 position. That's fine. But now you're focusing on what you're doing. And one of the biggest terms that I hate is non-revenue producing positions. If you can take that right side and you can get someone who can operationalize your company so you can focus on the other things, Mm -hmm. you are going to make more money, guaranteed. That person becomes very revenue producing. So my recommendation is, I don't have recommendations with respect to technology. We all know about CRM Mm -hmm. and portfolio management systems. We could talk about that all day long. Those don't matter. What matters is identifying what you don't want to do. There's your job description for your operations manager. Get them on board. Make the investment. Because even though it may be a little painful to take a little money out of your pocket today, two years from now or even a year from now, you will thank yourself for doing that. Now, this probably happened with you when you worked with surgeons and and hospital systems. But most people in our industry have a small issue of control. And how would you convince a financial services professional to rescind that left, you said right side, right side of that list, right? Mm-hmm. To somebody else. That's, that's tough for some people, Mike. Not just from a financial standpoint, but from a trust standpoint. Well, I think, first of all, I think you need to go through the exercise. Okay, good. So the first thing is do that. Okay. okay? And then the next thing is, is to sit down with someone who you trust, could be a spouse, could be a mentor, could be an old professor, somebody mm-hmm. who can sit with you and look at that list and discuss with you what it would mean to relinquish those things. Now, you're right. Control is a big issue. Surgeons are the worst. Mm-hmm. They control everything, including their own investments. They're some of the most difficult clients in the world. I'm sure our listeners would agree with yeah. that. But if you can talk to them about what someone like me could bring to the table, to offload those responsibilities and at the end of the day, put more money in your pocket and give you more time for the things you love, I think that rationalization Mm -hmm. will push people. If it takes a lot more than that, I don't know if I'd want to work there because I'd be afraid I'd be micromanaged every day. And so if, if you're someone who hasn't had a great deal of success or if you've grown to a certain level and you can't go to the next level and you don't know why, I think that's one thing you need to look at. And then you need to look in the mirror and say, geez, am I a micromanager? Am I overly controlling? Am I actually impeding 
my own potential. Yeah, most of the advisors are totally getting in their own way. All right, we're going to switch gears now because uh, as much as it's fascinating to talk to you about uh, how your brain works, I want to know a little bit more about how your brain works from maybe a soul perspective. Let's talk about what you do for fun. Okay. So what do you do for fun? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I've been married for 25 years, and my wife and I are best friends, so spending time with her. I have a son who's 18. He's Mm -hmm. in his freshman year at college. He's at BU, and God, he's going to be a surgeon. That's what he wants to do. Anyway, (laughs) I'm not trying to influence him (laughs) anyway, one way or the other, but he does have kind of that surgeon mentality, so... And my youngest guy is a sophomore in high school and figuring it out. So I enjoy spending time with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I like racing triathlons and doing endurance events. I like long distance. So I like doing Ironman races. I like doing marathons, ultra distance races. And then um, I've been surfing for decades. So I surf with my boys. Now, what is it about ultra that appeals to you? Mm. So... And I've been asked that a lot, uh, why I do these distances and how come I do so many. So many people want to just do one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 52. I hope I can do two a year nice. um, if I can stay healthy. That's been a challenge. Sure. But I think what it is for me is when I am training for an Ironman race or an ultra, you have to have, at that distance, you have to have a plan. It's very technical. The training's very technical. You have to know what you're doing to prepare. I have a coach that I've used for uh, seven years in Boulder, Colorado. He sets up all my training, and I follow the prescription. We work together very closely. But there's a plan, and I like to effectuate that plan. Now, things are going to go wrong. You need to plan for what's going to go wrong. And you have to be tough enough to get through those hard parts when things become a challenge. So for me, it's a lot like what I do for Dakota Wealth Management, only there's one element that's not involved in what I do when I do Ironman and ultra distance and things like that. I don't have any people to worry about. It's just me. So for me, when I'm training or when I'm racing, it's all up to me. So I don't have to... So it's actually very meditative, very relaxing, very, I wouldn't say it's relaxed, it's fun to be able to just rely on myself and to prove to myself that no matter what happens, Mm -hmm. I can get through it. It's actually, for people, like it's very addictive for me. Sure. I've heard that uh, with other people that I've worked with over the past, that uh, it's always interesting to see what limits you can push yourself to. Now, who's your hero? My hero? That's a good question. Um... I don't know if I have a hero. I've, you know, I've done a lot of reading. When I was young, at the age of 12, I was introduced to meditation and Eastern philosophy and read a lot of books about Buddhism and Taoism and all that. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, when I think about probably the most influential figure would have had to been Dale Carnegie. Reading his book, uh, reading his books, mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill mm-hmm. and those things. Uh, you know, I'm not a big self-help person. Um, But I do think that learning from some of those iconic Mm -hmm. writings can be very helpful. So I would have to say no one modern day, simply going back and thinking about those people. Awesome. Um, If you had all of the money in the world, what would you do differently than you're doing now? Well, I don't think I would not do what I'm doing with Dakota Wealth Management. I'll tell you that. We're having a blast. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be with my best friend of 30 years and uh, serving him in my role Mm -hmm. is a blast you know it's his responsibility to identify the why and the vibe and it's my responsibility to define the way and to support the vibe it's a blast Mm -hmm. so i would be doing this 
um, I'd still be racing. I'd still be doing all those other things. Uh, have a great life in that regard. I think probably what I would be doing more of, though, is mentoring and teaching and philanthropic work. Working okay. with young entrepreneurs, I think that would be a blast. And helping them sort of feel and achieve some of the success that I've, I've enjoyed. What is your idea of success? Now, this can we can take this personally, professionally, spiritually, physically, any of those. Fulfillment. That's okay. really it. You know, I hear people say, uh, happy. You want to be happy. Uh, it's kind of, I don't really think about that too much. Uh, it's just being fulfilled. You know, one of the things... I gave up a long time ago was the the uh, was expectations. Expectations, in my opinion, are the seeds for disappointment. Uh, so I just accept what comes at me, and I think that if you're not doing something tough every day, something, something, whether it's a training, whether it's training for me, it's training, uh, or uh, some activity that's tough, that's challenging, that that tests you, you, you can't grow, mm-hmm. and that's the way to grow. So um, for me, success is. Uh, being able to get up every day and move and to participate in a life that allows me to improve myself and inspire particularly my kids, but those around me. Now, a lot of people who've achieved your level of success have like this go-to thing, like a, it's a book or a TED Talk or a saying or a movie. What's your go-to thing? Well, people, people laugh at me because every day I wake up and I have a jotter. I have this very small jotter that fits in my back pocket. And I can write notes on it throughout the day, but I open it up every morning, never miss a morning, and I block off the first six lines, draw a line down the middle, so I get basically 12 boxes, okay? And in each box, I write down my goals. Hmm. And I go through some times that I want to achieve, an Ironman marathon goal that I have, um, maybe a financial goal, but I'll also write things about how I want to uh, embrace the day. So, for example, there's never any cert- certainty. So I write, that's always, no certainty is always written down. Uh, be me. Act. Think positive. Things like that. Just, you know, so those, that's my go-to thing. Every day I'm writing those things down, and it's in my back pocket. I can always refer to it. And, and those things I've either learned on my own or I've read and I've uh, applied to what I do every day. I think that if you're not reminding yourself of those things, they can get lost. Absolutely. Do you have a motto or a mantra? So, so when you're either knee-deep in a race and you've got to pull from the depths, or when you, when you have noticed that you're just a little more off course than you'd like to be, do you have like a, a, something you say to yourself, something you do to hit that hard reset button? It's more, you know, so for me it's about the why I do it, and I mentioned before that I'd love to be in a position where I could mentor a little bit. I have a, there's an athlete by the name of Sika Henry. She's a very good African-American female triathlete who could be the first ever African-American professional triathlete. And so I discovered her about three years ago, and I started financially supporting her training. And um, I've really made her my mission to get her there. I love the fact that we could introduce diversity in a sport that is really lacking it. And love the fact that she's female, love the fact that she's African-American, and love the fact that she's kicking ass. <laughs> so what I think about when I'm training, when I'm doing anything, I think about her struggles and the things that she's told me she's experienced. 
And uh, that inspires me. Okay. Now, this I usually ask this question, um, well, I ask this question, which is, what's your proudest achievement? I'm going to leave that very open for you, because I don't know where you would take that, uh, because you've achieved so much. I think my proudest achievement would be the relationship that I have with my two boys. You know, I tell this story, I'm sure he, my oldest boy would be a little embarrassed by it, but he was getting ready to do a college-based program over the summer, two weeks, at sort of his dream university in the Boston area. And it was really the first time he was going to be away from us for a while. Now he's, at the time he was 17 years old, six foot three, he's a man. And we, we had a room at the hotel, two, twi- you know, two double beds, and it was the night before he was supposed to go into this two-week course where he'd stay on campus. And about two in the morning, I got a nudge, and he said, Dad, can I get in bed with you, and can you hold me? That, to me, I mean, I've raced a lot. I've had a lot of fun in my business and had success. Having your son, and I think it's different with a girl as it is a son versus a son, but to have him do that and be that vulnerable, and that's the relationship I've always had with my boys, that's the biggest success. That's awesome. Now, you have the attention of a lot of people here, and I know that you guys are actively acquiring financial services firms. Who should reach out to you, Mike? Uh, what would be a good thing so that we can kind of pay it forward for all of this great information? Uh, really, we're, we're looking for, we're very culture-based. So we're looking for people who want to have fun, who love what they do with respect to caring for their clients and want to focus on that and feel that they could use some really good operational support and want to just unload that. Don't know how to grow their firm, don't know how to take it to the next level, would love to collaborate with, with people who are like-minded and, and, and not have things shoved down their throat and be part of a company that has true transactional equity. I mean, we have about 85% of our employees are shareholders in our company. We're truly an employee-owned firm and that's the way we continue to plan to grow our firm so that's the kind of uh that's those are the kind of folks we're looking to to have join us what's the best way for them to reach out to you uh they could email me directly and that's m-r-e-e-d at dakotawm.com magnificent mike thank you so much for uh being on our podcast today pleasure thanks man And if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below every time we come out with a new idea or show up directly on your listening device. And if you know anybody who needs that operational support, who really could stand to offload that so that they can really launch their business, their practice to the next level, please make sure that you reach out to the folks at Dakota Wealth Management. So for Mike Reed and everybody at Dakota Wealth Management, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. This was brought to you by iris.xyz a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.